Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I've got more notes than I probably have time, but I believe the Lord will help us. We'll just submit ourselves to him. I was saying that true worship involves humility. When David said for us to come before the Lord, that that was a response and that mandated a response on our part. And uh, I believe that certainly whenever the spirit and the presence of God is moving in a service, in whatever portion of the service, I believe that mandates movement on our part. I believe it mandates a response. And uh, as, as someone said, we're not just preaching for the amens, but there's something to be said about somebody responding to the presence of God and responding to the word of God. Worship introduces us to uh, the, the lives of two men who uh, are obviously and uh, very clearly had two distinct different attitudes of worship. Those men are very common names among um, many people here today. But if you don't know them, I want to introduce them today. And that's in the book of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 2. The Bible is talking here about Eve. And she, bare, uh, she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground as an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. And so we are going to walk through a very common uh, a very common passage of scripture, certainly when it comes to worship, uh, Cain and Abel are often mentioned. Um, worship, I think, uh, certainly is something that reveals the intent of our heart, but also reveals the content of our heart. What is there is generally going to come out from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so Cain, we often think perhaps it was the type of sacrifice, I'm not really here to debate that today at all, but I would just say this, that I believe that Cain wasn't rejected because of his offering. I believe that, that Cain's offering was rejected because of Cain. It wasn't what he offered. It was the attitude in which he offered it. Amen. And so to put it plainly, his heart wasn't right with God. And uh, it was by faith that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. This means that he had faith in God and that this, this means that he was in right standing with God. In, in later years, if I could just maybe pause and make a point here, in later years, we find in the book of Leviticus, we also find in the book of Deuteronomy, 
that the law of Moses prescribed certain grain offerings and fruit offerings. And so I just bring that up to say that, that this would leave us reason to believe that the kind of offering that was brought from the ground wasn't, the problem wasn't the offering because it was certainly an acceptable offering later on in the law. I think it was the spirit, the attitude of the heart. And so we've got to be careful that what our heart is when we come into the house in the presence of the Lord. And so if that be the case, then even if Cain had brought an animal sacrifice with shed blood, that it would still not have been acceptable to God because the problem wasn't the offering. The problem was the heart of the giver. <laughs> Amen. And so we got we to gotta watch the heart because it's from this heart. Everything flows. Everything flows. And so Abel, Abel bought, brought the very best that he had. He truly sought to please God. But Cain did not have that same attitude of faith. And there is a foundational principle that I believe is shared in this story and it is best addressed with a question and that is this. Do we offer God our very best or do we give God just what's left? Amen. I believe that we ought to, every Sunday school teacher ought to teach their class today as though it were the last time they would ever have the opportunity to teach. We should sing, thank you, Sister Rayleigh, what a powerful song and a powerful testimony. Uh, many of us who know your story, we can, re can not relate in, in walking through that, but what a thank you for pausing and just interjecting that. Amen. And so we, we should not come and just give God something that's left over. We ought to lay it all on the line as though it were the very best that we can offer unto the Lord. Um, you know, my wife is always uh, very, very family oriented. And so uh, for our family function, she said, I'm not going to save the, the good dishes for company. <clears throat> the good dishes are from a family. And they're going to be for the company, but we're not just going not just going to feed you on a napkin until somebody more special comes. I mean, the most special people in the world are already here in this house. The most special people in the world live in this house. Amen. I, 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 I'm not trying to embarrass her at all, but but I know there have been many days where she was not feeling well, and she's fixing her hair. I said, "Who? You, what are you fixing hair for?" She said, "I'm fixing my hair for you." Well, 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 because the most special person on the planet is already in this house. They're not somebody coming by. It's not somebody going to drop in. The most, per, the most valuable person is already here. I mean, I don't really, you know, I'm not in trouble and didn't need those points, but you can always use points. <laughs> you, know, you can always use points. I'll just tell you that. And so when we surrender our heart to the Lord, our flesh has got to die right there. Amen. We, I don't want to give God what's left. You know, I know sometimes on Wednesday night, we'll just use that because Sunday's a little bit different, a day dedicated to the Lord. We come here somewhat fresh. <laughs> we come here fresh on, on a, in the morning. And I know Wednesday night when we get here, there's no telling what any of us have walked through just to be here. And it is very, very easy. At that moment, just to do a little patty cake for Jesus because we're bone weary, your mind is blown, your, your emotions are shot, and now I gotta be very careful to say, now wait a minute, he doesn't deserve just something microwave, something heated up. Amen, I believe that Abel walked through his flock. This is what I believe. I believe that Abel walked through his flock and he singled out the very best. 
and I believe that Abel knew a long time before the day of sacrifice, this one right here, this is going to God. This one right here, I'm giving that to the Lord. I don't think he woke up that morning and tried to figure out what he was gonna do, but maybe when that lamb was born, he realized this is perfect. I mean, this is shaped just right, his head's just right, his legs are just right, everything is in proportion. This is going to be God's, and I believe that we ought to give God the very best that we can, the absolute best that we can. Amen. And so when we surrender our hearts to God, amen, works of the flesh have got to die right there. That means things like jealousy and gossip, ulterior motives, things like hatred and division and all kind of other fleshly trappings, it has to die. Or we're not true worshipers. We may be moving our mouth, we may be waving our hands, but if we've got all of those things in our heart, we are not worshiping the Lord. I'm talking about an attitude of worship, a spirit of worship, the right mind of worship, not just what it sounds like. Amen. So we've got to ask God to help us to, to, to destroy those things and make those sacrifices and, and to give God our very best. In Cain and Abel, the entire human race is forced to choose between one of two attitudes of worship. And that's a sacrificial attitude or a selfish attitude. Amen. This can't all be about me. I, I've got to come to the house of the Lord and realize this is about him. I've got to say, Lord, this is about you. Sacrifice and worship says I'm here for the kingdom and I am committing my very best for the work of God. Selfish worship says the kingdom is here for me. I want to know what can I get out of this. I want to know if it's going to be my favorite this, my favorite that. But you see, it's not about us. We've got to have the proper attitude about worship. Amen. Later, we see the real attitude. We see the real attitude of this man, Cain, when he said, am I my brother's keeper? See, he didn't wake up with that attitude that morning. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Somebody just caught him in the off moment. But this was right there. This cynical question, this cynical response was a product of the abundance of his heart. Amen. That is the origin that God inspects. God, I believe, if I could just be a little uh, demonstrative here, I don't believe that God's listened to what's coming out here. I believe God's looking at what's coming out here. Amen. I don't believe God's figuring out if we're clapping on time or off time or God is figuring out of what role or what key we're singing in or what particular this that we're doing, but God is listening to the heart. If I could leave you with a mental picture of this, I believe that while we may have our hands raised, our eyes closed and our mouths open in worship, I believe there is a heavenly stethoscope that God has to our heart. Amen. Because this needs to match this. And this needs to match this. Amen. It is the origin of worship. The Bible tells us that God respected Abel's worship, but he did not respect Cain's. Amen. Because origins matter. Where did this come from? You see, when an offering was provided to cover for man's sin and nakedness, God specified a pattern for sacrificial worship. Blood was required. Blood was required. Now, the origin of worship was all predicated upon this substitutionary offering that provided life out of death. Life out of death. There was an atonement through the blood that produced an unbreakable unity. There was a restoration 
to broken relationships and a witness of the supernatural power of God. And so just think about this, if you will, that the power of worship can take something that looks dead and make it alive. It can restore the most broken circumstance, the most dysfunctional situation, and God can create undeniable unity. I pray God help us. Amen, I've been preaching about the power of one. I've been trying to teach about the things, the principles of prayer, because God is wanting to forge us together as one. Amen, God is wanting us to walk together shoulder to shoulder. I've often said, amen, if we're gonna wait, and if we're gonna try to see eye to eye on everything, if you could just visualize somebody standing here eye to eye, I'm not gonna be able to get a lot done if I'm waiting to stand eye to eye to accomplish it, but if we can stand shoulder to shoulder, we may not see eye to eye, but if we can walk shoulder to shoulder, we can march forward and we can do what God would have us to do. Worship and relationships are inseparable. Our worship sometimes is is not right because of how demonstrative we are or because of how much we give or how much we sing or how much we pray or how much we do that. Our worship is biblically right and biblically balanced and sound when God is honored and when the body of Christ is elevated and unified. Amen, that's when our worship is right. And so what we have before us in this story of Cain and Abel is an example of a horrific death that occurred between two brothers that were supposed to love one another. Think about it. They're worshiping together one minute, one with a sacrifice, one with a product of the ground, and killing a brother in the next moment. Now think about that. Amen, this tragedy landed Cain in the New Testament as a warning to all the churches that such behavior is inexcusable, and are you ready for this? Such behavior is of the devil. First John 3 and 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, that's the devil, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did this happen? It's because he had a heart issue. Amen, he had a heart issue. Cain, who was of the devil, the Bible says. Amen, of the devil. And so you see, worship. Worship is not aimless. Worship is not random. Worship is not something that we ought to just take lightly. Amen, worship takes us in a direction. Remember, the psalmist said, come. Amen, come. Says I gotta get up and I gotta move towards something and I gotta move towards something with a purpose. And so worship is not a style of music. Worship is not a certain social status. Worship is not rubbing shoulders with the right someone that can advance our personal objectives. Amen, in fact, true worship is going to destroy personal agendas and personal kingdoms because it's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. It's not about me. You know, it's been often said, and sometimes we forget this too often, but it's often been said, there's no telling what could be done if we didn't care who got the credit. But sometimes we're really worried about who gets the credit for what gets done. And so we gotta be understand that that when we worship the Lord, when we are involved in a worship effort as a church, it's not about me, it's not about you, amen, it is about the Lord, it is about the Lord, and we must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. And John equated that to a lack of, that lack of love to murder. That's what he called it. Amen. We see that example in Cain who slew his brother. According to Strong's Concordance, the word slew translates translate slaughtered, butchered, killed, wounded. Amen. It was used in the slaying of the Passover lamb. It was also used in the lamb slain in the book of Revelation. And so this is not somebody who had an uh-oh, an accident. This was a very bloody and a very malicious and intentional act. How could Cain engage in worship and be in the presence of God and then kill, slaughter, butcher his brother. Amen. Because you see, the way he could do that is because his attitude was not tied to the kingdom of God, but his attitude was tied to the kingdom of Satan. Amen. And so when we fall in love with one another, as Christ loved us, the works, we have to understand this, the works of the devil can unravel every thread of unity in a church. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. I, I, I left myself a note here. I don't know if I can read my own writing. Amen. But when we think about how much that, how much that we ought to stand up for one another. Amen. We ought not to, if, when, when the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter, or in the book of Exodus chapter two, that when, when Moses was reared in the house of Pharaoh, and as he got older, one day he goes out and Moses sees an Egyptian smite a Hebrew. Now Moses was a Hebrew, but he's raised in the home of an Egyptian. So he's raised in this Egyptian culture. And so Moses, I believe by this point, is probably walking like an Egyptian, looks like an Egyptian. I mean, he's been bathed in an Egyptian culture. I know who he is in his heart. Amen, but, but all the trappings, he had all the trappings of Pharaoh and his home and his daughter, and he had all the trappings that Egypt could offer. But when Moses saw an Egyptian strike a Hebrew brother, something beyond his culture woke up in him and he said, I can't sit idly by and watch somebody smite my brother. Can I tell you this? If you can sit idly by and what, let somebody smite your brother, if you can sit idly by and let somebody talk about your brother or your sister and you not stand and defend them, they're not your brother. They're not your sister. Amen. Your heart is not right with God. We're not a true worshiper. We can't come in here and raise our hands and be all of this and all of that and not stand in defense of those that are blood-bought and those that the power of God has touched their life. Is this all right? Amen. Moses said, Moses risked everything. I mean, he risked his entire future because he says something in me says I can't sit here and let you do that. There's not a man in this building that could sit idly by in your recliner and watch somebody break in your home and attack your wife or your children. You just wait a minute. That's my children. They're mine. That's my blood. Amen. That's what rose up in the heart of Moses. Amen. One final uh, non-biblical, uh, one final example of non-biblical worship in the life of Cain is seen in the book of Jude. Jude used Cain to describe the apostasy of the New Testament church. In Jude 11, he said, woe, woe unto them for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now I'm gonna tell you, 
I don't have time to get into Jude, all that Jude is saying right here, but if you just break this down little by little, they have gone the way of Cain. They have ran greedily after the era of Balaam. Amen. And they have perished in the gainsaying of Korah. My. Do a little Bible study right there. And you'll find out what Jude is saying. This is some very, very serious stuff. Amen. So when worship fails to remove hatred in the heart, then it's not long until apostasy is right around, right around the corner. Amen. It's not that Cain didn't worship. He attended worship services. He did all the things. The problem was that it was self-created worship. I want to move me out of the way. I got to, that's why we need to go to the altar and pray before church. That's why we need to go somewhere and, and die out before the Lord. Amen. Why? Because I do not want to come into the house of God and I don't want to lift my hands with stuff in my heart that shouldn't be there. The Bible says if you're going to come to the altar and bring a sacrifice and you get to the altar and realize you've got something in your heart against somebody else, what's he say? He said, wait till another day. Amen. Just address this later. No, sir. He said, you leave your gift at the altar and you go take care of whatever's wrong and come back. Why? Because you can't be a true worshiper if you've got something in your heart that doesn't need to be there. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm trying to figure out what to, <laughs> I'm trying to be kind here. Amen. Jesus, Jesus was himself tempted with the same thing. When the, when, whenever when we think about self-worship, when, when the devil met Jesus, when he came out of the garden, at one point he took him to a high mountain and he showed him vast kingdoms. He showed him the world and the devil is offering Jesus, amen, all the power and all the glory if he would just worship him. Amen. You see, wielding power, I want you to hear me now, wielding power and getting glory has, has been the demise of a lot of good men and a lot of good women. Power. Power. It has taken them down. But Jesus wasn't one of them. When the devil says, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all of this. Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Amen, we need to rebuke. We need to rebuke things that are in our heart that shouldn't be there. Amen, we need to get that out of our heart, clean that, amen, immediately. When worship is to the Lord, then we're gonna gladly serve him in his kingdom. We're gonna give God the very best that we possibly can. The very best that we possibly can. I wanna bring him my best. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. I do really believe that you love me. I believe that with all of my heart. But you would not want me to get up here every Sunday and every Wednesday and just read something off a page. Like I just thought about you all, you all about 30 minutes before you showed up. Well, let me try to figure out something in here. I know whatever you could preach would be good in this book. I get that, that there's no such thing as a bad sermon. I get the, the theory of that but you wouldn't want me to come and just give you just whatever runoff. That's right. I mean, we've all had leftovers every now and then. Y'all have never had leftovers? You scared me there. <laughs> I'm wondering what in the world. But you, we wouldn't want mystery meat. You know. <laughs> That's what they say at youth camp. You know, you start out Monday nights this and 
Tuesday lunch is that, and Thursday lunch by Friday, it's that you're down to mystery meat. You're not sure what you're serving on Friday, but you're trying to get rid of everything out of the kitchen. I'm closing. I'm not closing mad, I'm just closing. The birth of Jesus was not only a miracle, but his arrival caught the attention of the world. It caught the attention of shepherds. It caught the attention of peasants. It caught the attention of wise men and it caught the attention of kings. A bright star shining in the east caught the attention of what we've come to know is at least call them three wise men. And they were compelled to follow the star in search of this prophesied king of the Jews. Upon arriving in Jerusalem, these wise men asked around for anyone who knew the location of this newborn king and they, they searched for any and all kind of information. They explained to anybody that would listen to their, their intent for traveling so far. Their explanation revealed a lot, not only about the wisdom they possessed, but about the spiritual desire that was in their heart. And they said this, we have seen his star in the east and we are come to worship him. <laughs> we seen the star and we are come. We had to get up and move towards something with a purpose. I'm back in, I'm back in Psalms now. <laughs> come, let us worship him. They, could have, they obviously saw the star a long way away, but they had to do something. They had to get up and they had to move towards something with intention. And so they said, we are come to worship him. Hearing their arrival, King Herod called these men and he questioned them and, and he was trying to find himself where the location of this child was. Of course, Herod's intentions were not pure at all. His desire was to remove anybody that might threaten his, his limelight. But the wise men were warned in a dream, yes they were, <laughs> not to speak ever again to Herod. And so they chose to disobey the king's orders and reveal any information about this child's location. So they came and they sought out the Lord. They weren't coming to mark this off their checklist. They weren't coming to do this and say, well, we need to get this out of the way. No. But they came to offer heartfelt worship to the promised child. You see, worshiping Jesus caused these men to fall down in his presence. He was just a babe in a manger, but they fell in his presence. When they were come into the house, Matthew 2 and 11 says, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Because you see, worship requires something of us. Brokenness. Humility. He was a babe in a manger. They were three wise, prominent men, but they recognized something about the spirit of this child and they came to worship him. Their attitudes, I think, were also revealed in the gifts that they brought because these were treasures. These were not, you know, they didn't stop and pick this up at the dime store on the way. These were treasures extravagant really in nature. They really were. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. 
Because you see, these men, these wise men were not afraid to break and be broken and to give and to be given. They understood the power of humility. These men sought to decrease because they knew that Jesus must increase. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? I must decrease because he must increase. John the Baptist realized there's, that God has anointed me for such a time and God has anointed me for such a period. But the humility to possess, to be able to say, but there is one coming after me who is mightier than I. You see, Saul couldn't get his, his heart around that attitude. Saul couldn't get his mind around the attitude that somebody would come along and have a bigger army and, and do greater things. But John the Baptist was a true worshiper. And he said, but there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I can just baptize you into repentance. I can just do so much. But there's one coming after you who's gonna baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. True worship. True worship. True worship says, Lord, I'm gonna give... And just whatever becomes of this offering, whatever comes of this gift is going to be left in your hands. I'm going to give. I'm going to ask you to stand. I was reminded of something in a conversation this morning in my office with some of the men before church, some of the ministers. I had a great mentor in my life, an elder um, who just so many, many things. So many things in life and ministry just take me back to words that echo in my heart and mind that he shared. We um, are very familiar today with, and I, I want to I say this in the truest, purest spirit, I just as an illustration. We are very, and we're very, very blessed. It's a a few years ago, we lost one of the, just one of the greatest missionaries of all time in that of Brother Benny DeMerchant. And uh, books have been written about his life and they're very interesting reads. I would admonish anybody to buy them and read them. But you see, long before there was a Benny DeMerchant, there was a Brother Upton that went to Brazil and planted a seed Amen. Because the Bible says one will plant, another will water, but God gives the increase. Certainly the reports of, um, and, and you understand the context of this, certainly the reports of ministry success in Brazil were not then what they are today. But somebody had to go and just say, Lord, I'm going to give you my very best. And I'm sure they had many successes and I'm sure there was a lot of things they had to praise the Lord about. But they had no idea that the person that would follow them after they left this life would truly reap bountiful rewards. But you see, they planted in faith. They just said, we're going to give this, we're, worship, we're doing this unto you. This is unto you. And so we give our whole heart, our whole life. 
We give our very, very best. And then we can't just sit back at the end of the day and say, well, you know, I don't see any result here. And, and so God must not have heard my cry. Because when I opened this Bible lesson this morning, there was a woman with a demon-possessed child that said, Lord, I need some help. And he answered her not a word. John 21 shares a, a, a very familiar thing. He answered her not a word. And so what do we do when heaven is silent? What do we do when we're praying and, and our prayers are not answered? What are we doing when the thing that we're believing in, what are we doing when the things that God promised us have not yet shown up on our front doorstep? Do we throw up our hands and say, that's it, I'm done or do we just do like this woman and say, you know what, I'm going to worship even in the midst of silence. I'm going to worship in the middle of unfulfilled dreams. I feel the Holy Ghost settling in on this. Amen. I felt this this morning in prayer that God is going to do something in this service. I felt this this morning in prayer that God is going to do something in our heart. If we'll just give him a few minutes right here, let's give him the best that we've got right here. Amen. What are we going to do? Are we going to keep worshiping him even when we're standing in the midst of unfulfilled dreams? Are we going to keep worshiping him even though heaven is silent and we do not have an answer today any more clearly than we knew 10 years ago or five years ago or eight years ago? What will we do? Will we worship him anyway? Amen. I believe that the Bible says, come let us worship him. Can we do that today? Can we move? Can we move towards something with intent? Amen. Not moving for moving's sake, not just walking for walking's sake. But I wonder today, despite an unfulfilled dream, I wonder today, despite an unanswered prayer, I wonder today, despite the miracle that was promised that has not yet come to fruition, can we just walk one more time into the presence of an almighty God and with a pure heart? Because you see, the stethoscope of heaven is listening to our heart right now. You see, God with the stethoscope of heaven is listening to our heart, not our mouth. He's not listening to our words and weighing our action and he's not measuring our tears today. He's not time and how long we pray or he's not time and how long we lift our hands. God is listening to our heart and I just wonder if we could have an attitude of worship this morning, a proper attitude of worship in this holy house, in this holy house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.